Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. And so we're getting close, we're getting closer to the time when the people are gonna say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, just as the Lord said in Matthew 23, 39, Matthew 23, 39, I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. But the tragedy for Israel when Moses came first is that they would have been saved if they had received Moses. And the tragedy for the Jewish people is that they would have been saved when the Lord Jesus would have received them. For Moses it was very much a very simple case of I would, but ye would not. And that's the case of the Lord Jesus. I would, but ye would not, when he said in Luke 13, 34, Luke 13, 34, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which kills the prophets, and stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I, that's the I would, gather thy children together as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, but ye would not. So Luke 13, 34, that verse there, the Lord is saying, I would, ye would not, and that's just what happened to Moses also. How different Jewish history would have been if Jewish people had received Moses when he first came to them. How different Jewish history would have been if the Jewish people had received the Lord Jesus when he first came to them. No diaspora, no crusaders, no inquisition, no pogroms, no Nazi holocaust, no Palestinian terrorists. All because Israel did not know when Moses came the first time that that was the time of their chance, that was the time of their opportunity, that was the time of their visitation, just as the Lord Jesus said in Luke 19.44, Luke 19.44, they're gonna lay you even with the dust. Thy children within thee, they shall not leave on thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation. And it's all because Israel despised Moses. I mean, can't you hear it when they, when they said, you know, who made thee a prince and a ruler over us? Now, you can imagine talking at their home at night. Look at that Moses. He sits in luxury while we suffer. He's not a Jew. We hate him. We despise him. All because Israel despised and rejected Moses as their deliverer. And so what did God decide to do if that happened? What did God decide to do with the Jewish people when they rejected Moses at the first? God said, fine, you make that decision, I make a decision. I take Moses away from you for a very long time, for 40 years. And all because the Jewish people despised and rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. And what did God decide to do? Fine, I take him away. For a very long time, 2,000 years, during which time he's not known. 
to the Jewish people. And it was during this time of separation that a very foreign people, very foreign people came to know Moses. You know who that was? The Midianites, the Midianites. No, who's ever heard of the Midianites? But during this time of separation, a very foreign people, known as the Gentiles, came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that? But it's also at the end of this time that the Jewish people really felt the heat. And it will be coming soon, now, after 2,000 years, that the Jewish people are really gonna feel the heat So this is the golden opportunity for the people there in Galilee when the Lord Jesus is preaching and telling them that they need to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right, now, the Lord Jesus has a very simple message. It's the message, repent, just one word. That's his message, repent. What did he preach? Repent. He calls for the people to repent. What's that mean, repent? Well, first of all, he's calling on the people to review your life. Review your life individually. Look back on what you've said, on what you've done, what you've done wrong against God and wrong against others. Especially, he calls on people to look back and review your thoughts. Go back over the script of your thoughts. What have you thought wrong against God? What have you thought wrong against others, which is what the Bible says to do, in Deuteronomy 15.9, Moses said this, Deuteronomy 15.9, beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, Deuteronomy 15.9. Proverbs 24.9, Proverbs 24.9, the thought of foolishness is sin. So he calls for people to repent. He's calling for them, the people, to bring out what John talked about in Matthew 3.5, Matthew 3.5, John the Baptist. Then went out to him Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around about him were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come to a baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance. So he says this statement, John the Baptist says this, to the Pharisees who are coming to his baptism. And the difference between the people were lined up from all Judea, and the Pharisees was very simple. It was a broken heart. They had a broken heart. The Pharisees didn't have a broken heart. So there stands, stands the, the Pharisees. You've got to try to picture this. And they're surrounded, the Pharisees are surrounded with people who are confessing their sins, and they're afraid of hell. They're afraid of the wrath of God to come because of their sins. But these Pharisees, they're not confessing their sins. They're not afraid of being cast into hell. And so these Pharisees, they're not determined to stop sinning. And it shows what repentance is. Repentance is uncovering, within plain sight, the awful history, the personal history of past sins to the point of confessing them. Repentance is a deep sorrow for those personal sins. Repentance is a cry for help to stop those sins Repentance is a cry to God for forgiveness and cleansing from those sins. And repentance is a fear of being punished for those sins by being cast into hell. This is what the thief on the cross had. He had a knowledge that he deserved the punishment for his sins. When it's from his cross, he says to the other the thief there in Luke 23, 41, Luke 23, 41, we receive the due reward of our deeds. 
Repentance is a fear of being cast into hell. It's a punishment for sins. That's what the Lord Jesus was preaching when he said, repent. When the Lord Jesus says, repent, in essence, he's saying, uncover all your sins of the past. He's saying, be sorry for those sins. He's saying, cry out to God that in mercy he'll forgive and cleanse you from those sins. He's saying, cry out to God for help to stop sinning. And he's saying, be afraid of the punishment for your sins which is being cast into hell. Now, there's a very interesting history about a blind man in Luke 18.35. Luke 18.35, when it says, it came to pass as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging and hearing the multitude pass by. He asked what it meant, and they told him that Jesus of Nazareth passes by. He cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they went before, rebuked him. He should hold his peace. But he cries the more, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood, commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, what wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said unto him, receive thy sight. Thy faith hath made thee whole. So here's a blind man. He's crying out to the Lord Jesus to have mercy. The Lord commands him to bring brought forth. And the Lord, the Lord asked him what seemed to be the most ridiculous question when he asked the blind man in Luke 18, 41, what wilt thou that I should do unto thee? I mean, can you imagine? Everybody thought when the Lord asked that question. It was so obvious. The blind man was blind. He needed to have sight. That was obvious. If it was so obvious, why did the Lord ask that question? Because the Lord wanted that man to be specific about what he was crying out for mercy for. And that question was all about being specific, about specifically wanting sight to be given to him. If that blind man had said, Lord, please bless me, the Lord would have said, how shall I bless you? Just be specific. And when we pray, if we just say, bless me or bless that person, we can hear the Lord saying, well, be specific. What specifically are you asking for yourself and for another person? It's important to be specific in prayer, which is why the hymn is so great that says, come my soul, thy suit prepare. It doesn't mean a suit like, you know, a jacket and pants. The, the hymn says, come suit, like in law, like a lawyer. Come my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. Thou art coming to a king Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such, none can ever ask too much. It's such a great hymn. It's a great hymn. I think one of the greatest things about that hymn is the title, Come, thy, My Soul, Thy Suit Prepare. The reason it's such a great title is because it's all about what lawyers do. You know, we've been going through too many court trials. But anyway, I've been reading all the filings with the court trials that we put in and into the court and the court of appeals, and I read the judge's decisions. And in one of our cases, the judge thought that we did not specifically ask for a request. And so when we asked for a reconsideration to his decision, he wrote that point. He said, you never asked for that. In other words, you gotta be specific in what you plead in your suit. And when a case is sent to the Court of Appeals and they have the three judges and they look at the pleadings on both sides to see if the points that are being argued for overturning the lower court's decision were specifically argued in the lower court 
or if they were new points that are now being brought up, which are called de novo, because the court is all about being specific. So when the hymn says, come my soul, thy suit prepare, it means to not come to God in prayer without being specific, without being what's being asked for. And that's what repentance is all about. Repentance is all about being specific. Which sins specifically are you sorry for? Which sins specifically do you want God to mercifully forgive and cleanse you? Which sins specifically do you want God to help you stop? Which sins specifically are you afraid of being punished by being cast into hell for? So the blind man in Luke 18.38 is crying out to the Lord Jesus to have mercy on him. And in Luke 18.41, the Lord Jesus asked him to be specific about what you want me to do for you. And in the same way, when a person says to God, Lord, forgive me for my sins, God's reply is, what specific sins do you want to be forgiven for? And when a person just says, just any and all of them, the Lord says, no, 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 no. Be specific. Do you really see yourself as a sinner? Because repentance is all about being specific. John the Baptist preached the same message, repent, and the people's response in Mark 1.5, Mark 1.5 was, there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they of Jerusalem and were baptized of him in the river, confessing their sins. They were confessing specific sins. No one was going there saying, well, Lord, I must have sinned like everybody else, so I just confess whatever sins I've done. No, they were not there saying, Lord, just like everyone else, I've made mistakes in life, so I just confess all my mistakes I must have made in life. No, no, no. They were there with their heads dropped in shame. They were extremely embarrassed, and they were saying, I lusted after Sarah, my neighbor's wife. I coveted after Abraham's ox. I stole the money out of Yitzhak's jacket. I got so angry that I cursed David, my friend, in heart. So they're coming clean. They're coming so clean from the sins that they didn't care who heard them. They were confessing their specific sins. That's what repentance is all about, being specific for sins. Repentance is not just saying, please forgive me of my sins. When God hears that, please forgive me for my sins, you know what he says? God says, and which sins might that be that you want forgiveness for? Just as he drew out of the blind man what he wanted mercy for, he draws out of the people what sins they want forgiveness for. And it doesn't work to just say, oh, you know, all of them. You know, just all of them. Just wipe the state slate clean. I don't know, whatever's on it. That doesn't cut it for God. It doesn't. So the Lord Jesus, he preaches repent, which was a call to confess specific sins and ask to be mercifully forgiven and cleansed from sin. That doesn't mean that every sin has to be forgiven, but there's gotta be some in order for there to be repentance. Now, probably over the crosses of the two thieves were written their crimes, just like it was over the Lord's cross, and their crimes that they had stolen. So you can imagine that when the one thief says to the other in Luke 23, 41, Luke 23, 41, we receive the due reward of our deeds, that he probably did, he probably, you know, he turns to the other thief, he's looking up at the sign over his cross. We received that deed, you know. And maybe he's looking up over his cross around there and seeing that with a sign there too. He's saying, we receive the due reward of our deeds. He's looking up there. 
it was to that thief that the Lord then responded in Luke 23:43. Luke 23:43, Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Repentance involves the confession of specific sins. That's the gate to heaven. That's the gate to heaven. Now, we see the Lord in verse 18. Lord in verse 18, and it says he's walking by the sea. Walking, Jesus walking by the sea of Galilee. He saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, Andrew's brother, casting a net into the sea for their fishers. Can't you just picture the Lord here? I mean, it's just mining. It's just kind of walking by the sea. He's quiet. He's kind of like Isaac. You know, he went out into the field to meditate. He's just walking along by the sea. Nice scene. He sees two brothers and he stops and he looks at them. Oh, there's, you know, there's those two men. One was Simon called Peter. There was Andrew's brother. And he's kind of like sort of watching them cast this net into the sea. Can't you imagine the Lord doing that? Can't you imagine him sort of stopping and kind of looking and thinking of those two brothers working together to catch their fish? Imagine him quietly watching them work and thinking. Now, what thoughts went through the Lord's mind as he watched those brothers, Peter and Andrew, work together casting a net? What did he see? When he saw those, what was he focused on? I mean, notice how at the end of verse 18, it says, they were fishers. They were fishers. That's a very important statement because it tells us that, that, that it was the practice of them being fishermen that's very important. And there are parallels which the Lord saw at that point. Now, none of us here have professions of being professional fishermen. Maybe we'd say thank God for that. But anyway, that's why it's important for us to think about what a fisherman does. You know, a couple of months ago, I went out with a friend of mine named Juan on his, he has an open panga boat, and, and we went out to fish in Loretto. And we started off really early in the morning, and it was dark, you know, because Juan says that's the best time to catch fish. I don't know why, but anyway, that's what it is. So we get on this boat in this little marina, and get on the boat with us is this uh, older man named Goody. And Goody's got white boots on, you know, and, and he gets on the boat with us, and he's got this net. And Goody's job was to go and catch some live bait for us so we can catch fish with live bait. And, those, and these are sardines. They're just swimming around in the marina there. I don't know why they're there. Maybe Goody feeds them. I don't know. But anyway, they're all there congregated in the marina. So for the next 15 minutes, I watch Goody as he stands on the bow of the boat and he tells Juan, go over here, go over there. And Juan putts put, put, over there. And, and then he throws his net into the water of the marina to catch the sardines. And it was interesting to watch Goody as he got his, his net ready and he looked over this side of the bow of the boat and that side of the bow of the boat and then directs Juan, you know, over here. And then with his eye on the fish, Goody then casts the net into the water and then he watches, the, the, you know, he's got little rocks around the side of the net so the net s- settles down. And then at a certain time, Goody quickly pulls the net, the rope of the net in to see if he caught any sardines. And if not, then he repeats the process until he got for us a bucket of live sardines that we use for catching fish. Now, I can imagine that the Lord watched a similar practice with these two brothers. And so he watches them do this, you know, and then he calls out to them in verse 19. He calls out to them in verse 19, hey, boys, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. He says that in verse 19. But before the Lord called out to them, he thought, I see two men trying to catch fish in a sea. No, no, no. I see a world that's a sea. I see lost men that are fish. 
in the sea. And I see two men changing their professions from catching fish in the Sea of Galilee to catching men in the world. Now, it's interesting when the Lord does this because, you know, you can see in his mind that he sees these parallels or these similarities between catching fish, uh, fishing for fish and fishing for men. Now, you think about this, what they were doing there. Think about what I just described about Goody casting his net for sardines. And what similarities do you see between fishing for fish and fishing for men? What do you think? You stay with it till you catch it. You don't give up. You know, fishing is hard work. It's hard work. I mean, I, another time, Juan and I, we went all the way down there in the south, a long way, and we got to this kind of island, which was a rock called Donzante Rock. It's kind of an interesting place because it's sort of like there's one mass of water, another mass of water comes around and creates some very turbulent vortexes there. An American lady was killed in a kayak there recently from drowned because of the vortex. There's a lot of water going on there. And when we were down there, on the other side of the rock, when we came over there, Juan yells out to these guys. And here's these guys, and they're in an open panga, and they're dressed in yellow slickers. They're commercial fishermen, and they're catching red snapper for the restaurants in Los Angeles. Anyway, yeah, those guys go out for three days straight, day and night. They don't go home. Their home is just around the other side of the rock on the shore. They have a fishing village there. And they're working out there day and night. There's, it's, it's an open panga. They sleep on the bottom of the panga there. And they just work. And they're constantly out there, you know, fishing, I think we said. Did you catch any fish? I don't think they caught very much. But they were out there day and night. It's hard work. Fishing is hard work. Okay, what else? Yeah, and you found that when you went fishing for the yellowtail, that he knew exactly where to go. He went there. As a matter of fact, he marks it on his GPS. He marks certain spots and goes to those spots. And so you've got to go to where the people are. You've got to go to where the fish are. You've got to go to where the people are, right? I mean, it's great to preach the gospel here at the chapel, but if there's no lost people in the chapel, then we're fishing in a place where there's no fish. Okay, what else? What other similarities do you see? Preparation. Preparation. You know, Goody prepares his net. Everybody gets their fish, the bait ready and so forth. You've got to have preparation. You've got to get the message ready. Get the gospel message ready. Look to where the people are. Wait for the right time to cast the net. You know, you go over there and Goody was there. He just waited for the right time to throw the net out. Let the net settle before you draw it in. Don't draw it in too early. You're not going to catch anything. But let it settle. Let the gospel message percolate a little bit in the hearer. And then pull it in. Don't just let the best sit there, but pull, you know, at the right time. You know, I remember fishing. Juan always says to me, real, real. You know, it's like, it's tiring. Real, anyway. So, okay. So make the gospel clear, you know, and then reel it in. But be patient. And there was a lot of times when Goody, with those guys who were out there in their slickers, they were out there, and they didn't catch anything. And there was times when Goody threw the net out, and he didn't catch anything. So don't be discouraged. Keep on, because it comes up empty. Just try again. That's why it's called fishing and not catching, because most of the time you don't catch anything. Now, in verse 18, the Lord is laser-focused on Peter and Andrew and their practice of their casting this net in the sea. He's focused on all the things that they're doing there to catch these fish. And that's what's interesting to him. It says he was watching them while they were casting the net into the sea. That's the, what he's focused on, the actual practice of casting the net out. 
He's focused on the actual practice of giving the gospel into the sea of humanity. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact of opening up a little window for us to see the Lord Jesus in his life. And we, Lord, want to follow him in Jesus' name. Amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California, Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at TomCantor at FriendshipWithGod.org, Tom Cantor at FriendshipWithGod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 